On this episode of the Wellward Way Show, we discuss SI joint fusions and how they can sometimes be more of a problem than the solution to your pain. Welcome to the Wellward Way Podcast, where we empower our community by demystifying pain, both physical and emotional, to give you the tools that you need for optimal health. Hi, I'm Dr. Donish, Medical Director of Wellward Medical here in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. James Escaloni, who brought to my attention that we should probably talk about sacroiliac joint fusions. Now, the first thing that I think we need to discuss is what is the sacroiliac joint, commonly abbreviated to SI joint, and why would somebody need to fuse it? That's a pretty good question. Your pelvis, your spine, really sits on a triangular-shaped bone called your sacrum. And that sacrum attaches to the Mickey Mouse ear bones in your hip called the ilium. And together, they make the foundation that transfers all of the load between your spine to your lower half, to your legs. So it's a really critical, heavily reinforced joint And similarly, it takes a lot of stress and strain throughout one's lifetime. I mean, every time you have a slip and fall, you're going to jar that sacroiliac joint. And we know that even though it heals, ligaments, tendons, they will heal after an injury. They can heal with scars that eventually start to break down and loosen the joint. So over time, it's a very common problem, particularly among women, because they have wider set hips just by the form of the body, it takes a lot more load and sees a lot more stress and strain, particularly with childbirth. So you see a lot higher prevalence of sacroiliac dysfunction among women than you do among men. Now, why is it that for people who've uh, been potentially uh, a little bit more flexible, we see more SI joint issues? The ligaments of your body create a static foundation of support throughout your body. So every joint that has any degree of motion is stabilized in the specific degrees of motion with your ligaments. It's your muscles and tendons that generate the force that creates motion. But unless they have a physical foundation in ligaments, then they become that joint can become problematic. So somebody who has loose joints as a baseline means that they can have more mobility in their joints and a higher risk of excessive motion within a joint that would eventually lead to erosion and damage and arthritis. It kind of likens to how if somebody has an ankle sprain, the ligaments become loose as a result of the injury and they can be more likely to sprain it again and again. Like a lot of soccer players have gone through that. So it sounds like that ligamentous issue at the ankle can be worsened at the SI ligaments, especially if there's an injury there too. Correct, yeah. So injuries accumulate in the body. Even though your body's capable of repairing it, there's still some residue left. It's the nature of aging that as we grow older, every time we damage our body, it's not going to reform like it was when we were born. It's going to have some it's going to leave some marks and those marks can accumulate to make a joint loose and unstable. Now some would argue the sacroiliac joint doesn't move. In fact, when I was training, that was often what we were told is it's not a very mobile joint. 
So there's no problem with fusing it. But I've come to learn through speaking with other physical therapists and through my own research that there is actually mobility to the sacroiliac joint. And it's actually an important joint to retain for mobility. I still remember talking to one osteopath who was joking with me how so many people in the PT profession said they could palpate movement at the facet joints in the spine. And they pointed out there's only a couple degrees of motion. And then when I had told him you couldn't feel motion, because that was in my early student days at the SI joint, then he pointed out to research that had shown there's actually seven degrees of motion from there. I didn't know there were seven. Yeah. And so this was a very smart guy who's done a whole lot of research on this area. And so he was laughing about just how this is a widespread misconception about how movement is. And if the joint can move that much, well, think about what can happen, and especially the degrees of freedom that the joint has. All the different ways that the pelvis can move, there's a lot of ways that pelvis can be injured. You can readily see this in people when they walk. I mean, a young child will practically spring across the floor, whereas an older individual it's kind of like this slow lumbering motion. And it's not just because they've got creaky, achy joints. It's also because we lose the elasticity of our ligaments and tendons. And so every time that child steps, their step is actually absorbing a lot of kinetic energy, meaning energy that is a result of motion. And all of that gets absorbed into the springiness of ligaments throughout the body. And so when they go to step off or, or take the next step, they're releasing a lot of that potential energy or, or stored kinetic energy into their motion. An older individual, they're losing range of motion and they're losing stability of their joints. And so they're not able to absorb as much of that kinetic energy. A lot of that just gets wasted into body motion. And so every time they take a step, they have to actually regenerate a tremendous amount of force and energy just to maintain that, that step, stepwise motion. The sacroiliac joint is very similar. It's not a very dynamic joint, meaning there's not a lot of range of motion to it. However, it's a major relay center for the forces that go from your feet all the way up to your torso and back. You'll notice that when people walk, they don't walk like a stiff board. Their arms swing, their body, their shoulders swing, sway. All of that motion is actually facilitating or helping that movement, but it needs stability and ways of transmitting that force to your legs in order for that motion to maintain its energy potential. So losing stability in the sacroiliac joint means that you're not able to translate a lot of the forces from your upper body to your lower body, or uh, vice versa, from your lower body to your upper body. There's an area of your body that sees an excessive amount of motion and force strain, and that typically lays right around your belt line, which is the most common area that people have pain. And what you just told me makes a lot of sense when you think about the amount of people who have pain in their SI joint that develops after they've been put in a boot because of an ankle injury or a foot injury. Right, yeah. We always talk about leg length discrepancies. 
And there's a cause and effect relationship to leg length discrepancy. So if you've ever seen a chiropractor or had any kind of osteopathic manipulation, that's a very common statement that we hear on the medical side is the patient has leg length discrepancy and so we need to either give them a heel lift or uh, some, some way to balance that out. Now, reality is there's a cause and effect relationship because if you have a boot on, for instance, a pneumatic boot to help stabilize your foot, it's not going to be matched height-wise with your shoe. So there's even one to two centimeters or a quarter of an inch differential between the left and the right is enough to cause a slight tilt to your pelvis every every step that you take. Like if you stand still and you measure out that person's pelvis, there's a slight tilt to it. And so one or two steps like that, a day or two of that, not a big deal. But you talk about somebody who's constantly moving after millions of steps, they're going to start to accumulate a disproportionate stress on one side of their pelvis and the other. And so it can develop some sacroiliac pain. I think that a good analogy for me for how I can make that work in my mind is if I only reach straight up but never across my body ever, what would my joint do over time? Right, it adapts. I mean, we always take for granted how adaptive our bodies are. Whatever stress or strain we put on it, the body's going to adapt as much as we can. And if it can't keep up, that's when things start to break down and get damaged. So when we're talking about damage, is it only the joint at the SI joint that causes pain? No, the ligaments, the ligaments, the, the muscle structure, the kinetic chain around that joint can also be damaged. The reason I was saying earlier that it's a cause and effect relationship when we're talking about leg length discrepancies is that when the sacroiliac joint accumulates damage, you can actually have a leg length discrepancy, not because you know, one leg is shorter than the other leg, but because the sacroiliac joint loses its alignment where it shifts out of position where one side is softer ligaments than the other side. So if you look at the alignment of that pelvis, like where the crest of your hip lies, you can see a difference between somebody who has a leg length discrepancy as a result of sacroiliac dysfunction. So not having strong ligaments, not having strong attachment sites for your tendons, over time can accumulate to having these leg length discrepancies or having a disproportionate stress on one side of your pelvis than the other, causing that side to degrade faster. Yeah, I kind of see that when people walk, how the pelvis rotates forward and backwards and forward and backwards, and that's how the leg moves up and down. And yeah, if one of those ligaments that's supposed to hold it and stop it from moving too far back or too far forward, if it was stuck in that particular direction, it would look like you had one long leg on one side compared to the other. That makes some sense. I've had uh, I've had a dislocation, not a dislocation, but like a misalignment of my own pelvis, and it's fascinating how much your range of motion changes. You think that it's a joint that doesn't have a lot of mobility, and indeed it doesn't have a lot of mobility, but, but certainly when it's not in alignment, you can definitely sense the difference. Like just bring your knees up to your chest, like one at a time, lay down on the ground, straighten one leg, and then bend the other knee, bring it all the way up to your chest, 
and then try it on the other side and see if you notice one knee coming up higher than the other. If you do, that's a good indication that there's some misalignment to your sacroiliac joint and figuring out why that is the case can help prevent that from evolving into a more damaged, more painful joint. So we've really established how the SI joint moves a ton and there's a lot of ligamentous structures, capsular structures, even fascia that can cause pain. So why would somebody want to fuse it and lock it in place? There have only been a few patients I've had where fusion really seemed to me like the only option that person has. If they've been, if they've had such a catastrophic injury that there really is no support structure around that joint, then as a, as a harms reduction approach, it makes sense to me to fuse that joint because every time that person moves, rolls, if their muscles aren't tight and, and rigid, it causes an excruciating amount of pain. But the concern that I have with fusions is that the bar seems to get lower and lower and lower for when is the appropriate time to recommend a fusion. The reason that concerns me is that every joint that you create immobility, if you stabilize or fuse it, you're not restoring the nor normal organic way your body moves. You're fixing one, one joint in space and then relying on all the other joints around that structure to compensate for that difference. So your sacroiliac joint is influencing the way your hip moves, the way your knees move, the way your ankles move, and back up the other side, it influences the way your spine moves and helps your upper body move. So fusing that joint means that all those other structures are gonna have to take an increase burden of the load and if it happens in such a rapid fashion, as does a fusion, then those areas can be unprepared for that level of stress and start to see damage in and of themselves. I've seen people with acute SI sprains that they just tell me that everything's locked up. And it's exactly like you just said, it's on one side, they're, they shift, they've got a fluid motion, the, and it's almost the body it's almost like the body's accepting that weight load. But then on the other side where they had that sprain, everything was rigid. It's, the, it's like they were planking on everything as a stiff line from their ankle all the way up to their mid-back. That's often what we see when somebody has a ligament injury is that there's a nerve reflex causing all the muscles that support that joint to go into a spasm and prevent any further movement at that segment. In the acute phase, it's involuntary. Like whether that person tries to or not, those muscles are gonna cramp up and spasm. But in the chronic phase, those muscles will start to normalize to that nerve signal, and they won't cramp up like that. They'll be more mobile, but you'll find that the person has so much discomfort when they don't clench those muscles that over time, they increase the tone of those muscles by nature, and you see that increased rigidity as a result of muscles. And that's a great compensation method. In fact, much of physical therapy in the absence of some kind of regenerative strategy to fortify the ligaments is really focusing around using muscles to compensate for ligaments long enough for either the, the ligaments to heal or for the muscle to build enough stamina where it, it has increased tone that maintains the integrity of that joint. But it's never gonna act the way the native joint 
should act. So figuring out, part of our job is figuring out what structure has lost its integrity so we can mobilize resources in the body to that area and strengthen it rather than relying on these compensatory mechanisms or having to rely on surgery to actually fuse that joint and sacrifice some of the mobility that helps the rest of the body function. So from a standpoint from somebody who is maybe having pain after an SI joint fusion, I know from a rehabilitation standpoint, I would have to take a look and see what muscles are functioning well. And if they're very rigid on one side, do we need to maybe prop up the other side with a heel lift so that they can balance out how the forces on the pelvis are? But from what Wellward can do for this person, where would they start? Obviously, I prefer to evaluate a patient before they reach that fusion point because it does limit our options once they have that fusion. Whereas if we see them before the fusion, there's a lot that we can do to create stability around that joint using regenerative orthobiologics, meaning like using PRP or bone marrow aspirate or fat-derived uh, cells. These are all active cell cultures, or, or these are active cells that initiate or, or modify the repair processes of the body. And we can use those to actually create stability where there is none and then rehabilitate it in a way that helps to both restore the functionality of that joint and maintain the stability of the kinetic chain so that other joints aren't seeing as much stress and strain. Now, if, if somebody has already had a fusion, I've, uh, we've seen a lot of different reasons why they can have persistent ongoing pain. Sometimes it's adjacent segment problems, meaning like the next step in the kinetic chain, that's the problem. Like if it's a SI fusion, then the lumbar spine could become a source of pain or the hip joint can become a source of pain. And sometimes it's actually the actual joint that was fused that continues to hurt. And that can be for a variety of different reasons. Everything from nerve nerves being injured to the joint being fused in a position that your body wasn't used to seeing. And so it's getting a lot of ligament stress that wasn't there before the fusion. It could be a result of limited rehabilitation and scar formation because obviously after every surgery, even if it's very minimally invasive, you're going to have some scars that will be left behind. And if you don't rehabilitate that or break it down, then those scars can become a source of tension that your body has to compensate for in another way. The, the physical therapist in me is uh, applauding that statement. And it's something that unfortunately, I don't know if it's insurance reasons or something else, people are getting less and less rehabilitation after surgeries. And I'm seeing the consequences of this for so many people years later. Completely agree. It's not always something that is evident immediately after surgery. Sometimes it's something that shows up months or years down the line after that scar has really changed the way forces are distributed. We, over, we, we underestimate how important the fascia is in the body. The fascia is essentially all connective tissue uh, throughout the body, but it's often found in various planes with it within the body. So a tissue plane that creates continuity between one group of muscles to another group of muscles, 
maybe completely separate groups, but they work in concert with each other. And, and there are theories that the nerve transmission takes place through the fascia or that the force transmission instructs other parts of the body on what kind of uh, stress or strain or tone they need to have to even out the forces in the body. If you were to talk to me about that, say 10 years ago when I was still in training, I would say that's hoo-ha. Mm -hmm. But I've experienced it firsthand both as a patient and as a provider to know how important that fascia is. And it, all it takes is a small degree of scarring or adhesion within that fascia to throw the whole system out of sync. I can definitely appreciate that for the times we've revisited the cadaver lab over and over again and seeing how everything in fact is connected and where there are problems where surgeries took place. Absolutely. Yep. We see that all the time. That's what makes us unique. WellWord is more than a clinic. It's really a new direction in healthcare, hence the name WellWord. Our goal is to optimize health as much as it is to cure disease. So if it's a minor ache in your back or some mild pain down your legs all the way up to incapacitating pain, we'd love to get involved and help figure out how we can help you optimize your well-being and prevent the evolution of that problem into a bigger deficit. So if you find this helpful, please check out our YouTube page or call our patient navigator at 859-275-4878. That's 275 hertz. And we'll help get you scheduled for the care that you deserve. From all of us here at Wellward, I'm Dr. Donish. And I'm Dr. Escaloni. We'll see you next time.